Please join me in prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts always be acceptable in thy sight, for thou art our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Hallelujah! Christ is risen. Here we are again, having walked through Lent together as a congregation and arrived here through Holy Week at Easter Sunday. And dear friends, as John Paul II, Bishop of Rome, said in his sermon to the Australians in 1986, we know Jesus has conquered sin and passed through his own pain to the glory of the resurrection. And we live in the light of his paschal mystery, the mystery of his death and resurrection. We are an Easter people, and Alleluia is our song. We are an Easter people, and Alleluia is our song. What a wonderful truth that is. That Jesus' passion, His death upon the cross, His resurrection from the grave is not just another event. No, Easter is not just another day in our lives, but it is the event. It is the day. It is the thing that defines us as Christians, as followers, not of some just prophet or some teacher, but of the risen Lord, the only man in death to be raised again by the Father, to His glory everlasting. As Christians, Holy Week is that defining week in our lives, and Easter Sunday, that defining day. There's nothing more important than what God accomplished some 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem this past week. In St. Matthew's account of the resurrection, we hear of the literally earth-shattering news. Did you catch that in the Gospel? St. Matthew records that there was an earthquake in his Gospel. He's the only one to record this detail. Look with me at the Gospel passage, page 7 of your Scripture inserts, Matthew 28, verse 1 through 5, if you have your Bibles. Now after the Sabbath, Towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. You remember, friends, that Jesus' body was buried in a tomb provided by a rich man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. That's recorded earlier in chapter 27 of the Gospel. A guard was placed there by Pilate. And these were Roman soldiers who were placed at the tomb to seal it, to make sure that no one could enter or exit it. 
And these Roman soldiers were like dead men, we're told. They're so paralyzed by the fear of seeing the angel and hearing this earthquake. You know, Roman soldiers aren't newbies. They're not greenhorns. They're seasoned soldiers. And for them to be like dead men says something about what this experience was like. But notice the women, who are also scared, are told by the angel, do not be afraid. The angel doesn't address the soldiers, mind you, but the women, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. And the other Mary is probably Mary, the mother of James. Both of them were at Jesus' crucifixion in Matthew's Gospel account earlier. And so, these women, we're told, were distressed. The burial rite of the Jews was long and extensive. For Jews, just as for Christians, see the body as important. See, the body as a gift from God. And these loving women were there to perform that one last act of devotion to a man who they followed and who they loved so deeply. The shock must have been incredible to them, coming to the grave expecting to see and anoint a dead body named Jesus. I think sometimes these passages become too familiar to us and we lose the power of them. But can you imagine going to a wake, expecting to see a loved one who is deceased, and all of a sudden the casket's empty? That's what's going on here. Look again at verse at our gospel, this time verses six and seven. What does the angel say? Do not be afraid. He is not here, for he has risen, and he has said, and he said, I'm sorry. He has risen just as He said. Come and see the place where He lay. But notice the angel also reminds them of what about Jesus? Well, I butchered it there in my recalling. But just as He said is what I want to emphasize to you. He has risen just as He said. Why would the women think Jesus was still dead? The angel's a little bit puzzled. It was the third day, and Jesus had taught many times that, to quote Matthew's Gospel earlier, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill Him, and He will be raised on the third day. Now they'd seen Jesus raise people from the dead too, also remember. But I think we can forgive the women for being a bit distressed and stunned given that they had seen this man crucified before their very eyes. And so they run with this good news. And as they're running to the disciples, following the angels', the angels instructions, who do they encounter? Jesus Christ Himself, the risen Lord on their way. Look at verse 9. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of His feet and worshipped Him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell My brothers to go to Galilee, 
and see, and there they will see me. The news, friends, is glorious and it spreads quickly. Jesus is alive. Jesus is back from the dead. We read many accounts of his resurrection. And in the other Gospels, we see other details highlighted. But there's all kinds of reasons why we can know that Jesus truly did die and that Jesus truly was raised from the dead by the Father. Resurrection, friends, is true. It's a historical fact. There's hundreds of witnesses that saw it. There's historical accounts by Roman and Jewish historians that attest to it and attest to the response of the disciples. The fact is that the Jews could easily disprove that Jesus was risen again if they wanted to by merely going to the grave of Joseph of Arimathea. Right? They knew where that grave was. If Jesus was still dead and in the grave, they could have gone and pointed to it and said, there's the body. He didn't rise again. But they didn't. Because they couldn't. And so, friends, this historical fact that instead of a corpse-filled tomb was an empty tomb, was attested to by all of the apostles. And in addition to that, all the apostles were so convinced of the reality of Jesus' resurrection and ascension that they went to their deaths, sometimes horrible deaths, testifying to that truth. You know, the word martyr means witness. Witness. They had witnessed the risen Lord. All but St. John. St. John's the only one that doesn't get martyred. Belief in the fact of Jesus' resurrection, and I can tell you this as a classical historian, is more probable than improbable. Belief in Jesus' resurrection is historically more probable than improbable. In fact, it's more probable that Jesus was raised from the dead than that Caesar existed by the historical record. The Christian faith is mystical, yes, but it's logical too. We have no problem believing that Christ rose from the dead, and I hope you don't either. If he did not rise from the dead, then Holy Week is the ultimate waste of time. And Jesus' death on the cross is the ultimate tragedy. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Jesus was a false teacher because he taught that he would rise from the dead. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, his death was just another death, just another crucifixion among hundreds that the Romans did. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then you and I are stuck enslaved to our sins forever, facing death and judgment after death alone. But as St. Paul writes in his first letter to the Corinthian church, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If Christ wasn't raised from the dead, there's no hope for the dead. St. Paul continues, If in Christ we have hope, 
in this life only, we are of all the most people to be pitied, he says. Because we're believing in a lie and going around pretending that something happened that didn't happen. If, in fact, Christ was not raised from the dead. But, St. Paul continues, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And so, friends, Christ's resurrection is the hope of the dead as well as the living. And Christ was raised from the dead. St. Peter the Apostle attests to that in his sermon in Acts chapter 10, which was our first reading today. Did you catch that? Look at Acts chapter 10, verses 39 through 42, at what Peter the Apostle says. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be, to be judge of the living and the dead. Jesus, the servant that we saw on Monday, Thursday, Jesus, the slave that we saw on Monday, Thursday, who washed the disciples' feet, who washed Judas' feet, Jesus, the paschal lamb, who was scourged, who was reviled, who was spat upon, who was treated as subhuman on Good Friday, is the very same Jesus here who is victor, who has won the victory. That's what Peter says. And Peter adds something to it, notice. That that Jesus who's the victor is also the judge. He's also the judge. He has been appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. And that might sound negative to you at first. We usually don't associate good things with judgment, right? But if you've been baptized into this Jesus, into His name, you've been united with Him in His death, so that you're also united with Him in His resurrection. Just as St. Paul says in last night's reading from Romans chapter 6, What that means, dear friends, is that your old self was crucified with Christ. Your sinful nature was buried with Christ. And so you've been raised also with Christ, united to Him in His resurrection. St. Peter says as much too, just like St. Paul. Look at the last verse of our first reading. Verse 43. To Him all the prophets bear witness, and everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. Through His name. Through His judgment are we forgiven. And His alone. And because, dear friends, you've been forgiven by the sacrifice and the judge, by the servant and the victor, you have been changed forever. 
Look at what St. Paul writes in today's epistle from the book of Colossians 3.3. Set your minds, therefore, on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, says St. Paul. So nevertheless, he tells us that we are raised with Jesus in His victory. But as those raised with Jesus, we have duties to do. We have the tasks to perform. Oh, they're joyful duties. Oh, they're wonderful things to do. And yet, they are tasks and duties nonetheless. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, which we have said we have, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. But what's that mean? It means to not let the things of this world distract us from the goal, from the prize, from the victor. It means that we're to set our minds on things that are more important. In verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, says the Apostle. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is in your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. That's the project of those baptized. That's the project of, of God working in us as Christians. It's to show forth Jesus Christ. It's to become in His image. It's to have Him appear in our lives. And the promise is there too. That as that happens, so we will appear with Him in glory. What a glorious promise that is, dear friends. We are a resurrection people. Alleluia is our song. Being with Christ in glory as the victor is our end. Let us never demure from the tasks. Let us never find the project of being a Christian drudgery. But let us see it as a joyful duty as we embrace more and more of Jesus Christ in our walk together. And let us be found with Him at the right hand of the Father one day after the general resurrection. He's promised it will be so. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we give You thanks that on this day, those many years ago, you broke forth from the tomb and you brought with yourself life to all who would believe in you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would enliven us. As that beautiful ancient colic says, vivify our hearts. Bring us to life that we might see you appear in us and ever hope in the resurrection. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.